0: yourself together you are a last girl uh, basically
1: like <laughs> i i do love when like a small angry woman is like can you fucking act right like do you love that tuck do you love that
0: i wonder why you love that
1: All my friends are English majors. The podcast where I, a business major, make my friends almost all English rate. I did it again. English Ragers. <laughs> English that's majors. Me an English Rager. Read popular fiction with me. It's the third week of Akatar month. We read A Court of Wings and Ruin, which in my head, all week, I have been calling War* Because it's all yeah, about a too. war <laughs> instead of Akawar, which is like, because that's the same cadence as Akatar.
0: Um, because it's funnier. Yeah, I. mean, It also kind of sounds like um, you know, the Pitch Perfect Aka, like at the oh, beginning, yes. Aka awkward. It's like Aka War. Like, <laughs> it's like a battle between acapella groups. That's what I hear when I hear Aka War. Oh, <laughs> but that's But I also good. have been thinking about it that way because I'm. I find it really difficult to remember the like the Akatar, Akamath. Akawa, ever. Like, I don't remember them very well, so I. it's convenient that wings and ruin just spells war, and that's what the whole book is about. So I appreciated her doing that. That was one decision for this book that I felt was, had the reader in mind,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. She wanted us to remember that it's different. I've been seeing a lot of um, A Bowl and Mac and Cheese titles when I'm at... Mm. Like half price books, I sold some of my horticulture textbooks today and mm-hmm. made twenty whole dollars on one hundred and fifty dollars worth of textbooks. Um, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: they really every time you go to half price books, they <laughs> just like spit at you. <laughs> They're like, "Here you go." Will
1: well, that's, will you it's that? not like I'm showing up with like a box of one hundred and fifty Harlequin bodice rippers, like. They're textbooks!
0: Yeah. One time
1: at the Truman State University bookstore, I did get $45 for a French textbook. And I was, I was shaken to my core. Yeah. I was like,
0: oh my god, I'm rich. I'm the wealthiest woman to ever live right now. I feel like usually the foreign language textbooks, you don't get very much for them because they have the, like, online code thing to, like... At least for Spanish, that's how it was. There's like a one time use code, and then you like log into the online version of the textbook so that you can record yourself mispronouncing, <laughs> mangling the Spanish language.
1: Dr. Bean was a technophobe. Like, hmm. the only thing we did not on just like pencil and paper were essays. Wow. Love that. Yeah. It was, oh, she kicked my ass. She, I think, was my, my, like, hardest and most rewarding professor in college in comparison to the ones who were just, like, difficult and unrewarding. Hmm. Okay. Hard. So we read the third Akatar book. We read A Court of Wings and Ruin. There are currently five Akatar books. The first three are about Farah and Rysand. The fourth one is, like, a novella. And it's literally just so they can, like, Tee up book number five. Frankly, it's stupid. Like, <laughs> if you're spending $23 on it or whatever the fuck the paperback back costs, like, you're the problem. And then. What is it the called? F- I've
0: literally never even heard people talk about it.
1: A Court of Frost and Starlight. It's literally just Farrah starting to paint again and them inviting everyone over for, like, Christmas dinner and Nesta being an alcoholic. That's what they're teeing up. Is like huh. Nesta's whole journey in the fifth book because she is like not handling the PTSD of being turned fae and then like going to war and having the cauldron's power trapped inside her little body. Right.
0: She's not
1: handling that very well. Yeah,
0: There's surprisingly actually spoilers enough.
1: Spoilers for Aka War. Aka War. Um, so their dad dies at the end. He shows back up, and he is, like, killed by the King of Highburns, snapping his neck. And that is, like, a big part in the fifth book of Nesta being like, right, I can't be in a room with a fire. Because, like, mm. the fire's popping and crackle, and she's like, sick, my dad's neck is getting broken over and over and over again. Like, it's that bad, and everyone's just like, oh, Nesta won't accept our help. A girl is in the depths... <laughs> depths of despair and everyone's just like god she's such a bitch like she could have a found family if she wanted one but instead (laughs) she's just
0: (laughs) being a bitch oh my god that's really funny she could have a found family if she wanted to once someone on goodreads mentioned um fast and furious and the found family-ness of it all in those I, like, can't stop thinking about that. Because last podcast I was like, I love a found family trope. And I do for the most part. But it is, like, drilled in this one. Like, drilled And she says it, like, she says, our family. And I feel like once you say it, that kind of, like, ruins it for me. Like, I like the idea of, like, oh, a friend group that is so close and like, has such, like, an intimate relationship with one another. They do everything together. they do anything for each other. All of that. But as soon as they start calling it their family and saying, I'd do anything for my family. I'm like, okay, it's giving Vin Diesel. Is that that Dominic Toretto over there? (laughs) I just, I can't. There is so
1: much unbelievable magic in this book. It's very Fast and the Furious in that you're like, I'm sorry, a car can't do that. Like... (laughs) In this book series, you're kind of like, okay, like, half of this book is Farah being like, our stores of magic are so depleted, we're so tired, like, we'd, and then they'll sleep for, like, 15 minutes, and then they're like, and we'll take on Highburn's whole army, even though we're really yes. tired.
0: Yeah. Do you, are your stores of magic depleted or not? Yeah. And I, I guess they're like, oh, we're high-faced, so therefore we can regenerate more quickly. And I'm like, "Mm." that quickly? 15 minutes.
1: Like, I'll believe it on the sex stuff, but I'm not going to believe it on the war
0: stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I just kept thinking about, like, the tiredest that I've ever been or the, like, most, like, physically depleted that I've ever been. And thinking about how long I needed to just be comatose afterwards. (laughs) I was like
1: at work the other morning this is very telling i think of where i'm at with work um we had our morning meeting and there wasn't that much to talk about so um the assistant manager of the store made everyone go around and say what superpower they would have and everyone was like oh i would fly i would teleport like i would be able to mimic anything or anyone that sort of thing and i was like i'm being realistic because all of the powers you just listed like i didn't say this because i work for a capitalistic business but i wasn't like okay so all the powers you just listed like." When are you going to use that? When you're not working 65 hours a week for this company? My superpower would be that no matter how long I slept, I would wake up feeling refreshed. Hmm. And I would still want to sleep. And, like, sleep yeah. would still be good for me. But I wouldn't wake up from a 25-minute nap feeling like i have been hit over the head with a hammer a couple of times. Yeah. Like, worse than when I fell asleep in the wor- first place. Like, like a loon. would listen to my body. And I would fall asleep, and then I would wake up, and I would not be tired anymore.
0: That's a great superpower, Tuck. I think that you're the only one who's really thinking. Everyone else is, like, thinking with their heart. You're thinking with your brain. You're like, what do I actually need to be an adult in this world? Yeah, my, my superpower would be getting rid of capitalism.
1: My superpower <laughs> would be always having a billion dollars. Like, <laughs> Like, those are
0: good superpowers. My superpower would be being a grown-up and not feeling stressed about it.
1: Yeah, I get that. I get that.
0: So, Tucker. Jess. Here's my question for you. Is this book too long? Yeah. (laughs) I think this book is too long. It's, my copy is 699
1: pages. So is my copy. And my thought is just, like, we could do with one or two less things, or we needed to split it, or... Honestly, it's not a 700-page page book if she's not so wordy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the... Like, when I'm looking back on what actually happens in this book, I feel like with the previous one, Mist and Fury, I was like, oh my god, okay. So in order to make a podcast about this, we have to talk about this, 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 Like, there's so much to it that I it was immediately apparent to me that we needed to talk about so many different things. But in this one, I'm like, uh... And I also finished it, like, literally right before... I got on the Discord, so that might be part of it. My brain is just, like, buzzing with, like, Wait, so, Nesta! (laughs) Those
1: last hundred pages in any Sarah J Maas book, you're literally just like, whoa! Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) You can slow down a
0: little. So you're telling
1: me! I think this book, if we described it in, like, four sentences, would be, like, Fair destroys the Spring Court from the inside. They have a High Lord meeting where they decide to make an alliance, kind of. The war begins. The war ends. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's 700 pages of being introduced to probably, what, like, 30 new characters. At least, like, four alliance changes. Like, Mm -hmm. three of them by the same person. Like, <laughs> it's very, Sarah J. Moss is really like, I got your nose.
0: <laughs> I yeah. gotcha. And then ah. there's like all of this, and we're going to the prison again. And we're going to the weaver's cottage again. And we're just kind of like returning to each place that we went to in the previous book. But now Feyre is healed and knows what to do. Like, before, she was like, oh, I'm following Reese around, and I uh, 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 I don't know what's going on. And then in this one, she's doing the same stuff. Like, she's going to the same places, but she's wily and cunning, and she knows herself, etc. And so she, like, gets out unscathed from all these places that were, like, incredibly terrifying to her in the previous installment.
1: And she keeps getting out, like, relatively unscathed, like a scratch here and there. And Cassian and Asriel, the, like, best Illyrian warriors the world has ever seen, keep getting their bodies just, like, fucking destroyed.
0: Yeah. I, I want more attention on them as, like, people. Because I love them. And they are, they are literally always, like, crawling through the mud. Like, they are... For the Archeron sisters. Bleeding and dying. Like, ever, like the end of each book is like, and Cassian's wings are shredded. And he's crawling towards Nesta. Like, I'm like, um, can we check on him? I feel like there's... I get that Feyre is the point of view character, but I'm sick of her. <laughs> I think a lot of the characters are more interesting than her, and I I keep wishing that this is, like, A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh my god, A Song of Ice and Fire also is a bowl of mac and cheese. It's a oh. bowl of mac and cheese! Every good fantasy book is a bowl of mac and cheese. <laughs> a Song of Ice and Fire, which is the Game of Thrones series, the actual name of it, is a, like, multiple point of view fantasy book. So it's got, like... So many point of view characters and, but it's all like third person point of view. So for the most part, you are just kind of like in the, the character's head, but it's not first person. And I like that so much better. I also feel like it could have really like, like by the time we get to this book and like by the time we get halfway through this book, we've met all the high Lords. We've met all these characters. She's finally done the thing that I'm wanting her to do which is build out the world and like show us who the people are and what the what the like shifting alliances are that really matter here. And now I'm like, okay. Give me some Jurian first person perspective. Give me some Helion first person perspective. Give me some Lucian first person perspective. I would love that. Give me some Vivian first hand perspective. But no, We just get Feyre's perspective and it ends up making it so that like the only like focus of like, like really deep emotion is recent and and to a lesser extent her sisters and to a lesser extent, lesser, lesser, the like rest of the inner circle who she does obviously care about, but like the emotional core of it is always Reese. And I would like to get out of that point of view. I'm tired of it. (laughs)
1: Well, and it makes all of the... Like, when she goes to the Spring Court and Moore and Cassian and Azriel are really mad at, like, Rhysand for not telling them that she was the High Lady, they're like, you don't understand, like, you're... They basically are like, Farrah, you're ours. Like, you belong to us, you're our High Lady of the Night Court. And... They're mad at Resand, but like, Farah is never like, and you're my general. And like, you're my yeah. spy master. She's never like, I feel and reciprocate and would do what you are trying to do for me. Right. And she like, is much more of a badass in this book. Like, we kind of see a little bit of killing the Midengard worm self out of her. In this yeah. third book, which is great. That is the best part of book one by far is when she kills the big worm. Yeah. But like, these people who are like, sw- essentially like in the, in the like court sense swearing fealty to her, she doesn't, w- Not even in her mind, where in her mind this whole fucking book, like, not even in her mind is she, like, and I would dig through the mud for these people the way they are digging through for me. It's, like, she
0: has, like, the same commitment to their safety that she has to, like, any of the other humans. Like, she, there's one part where her sister Elaine gets abducted by the King of Highburn, who's the big bad of this book. Bad plot point. She did nothing. Did nothing. Did nothing and actually didn't make any sense, but we'll get there. But she like is in the midst of the Highburn camp and she sees this girl who's like a human woman who is being tortured by the Highburn soldiers and she like risks everything to save her because she like thinks of the girl who was tortured in her set in the first book. Claire and so she, like, takes her, and her name is Briar, and then she is, like, never heard from again. Like, she's given to the, the Winter Court, and then she's just, like, not a thing. And I thought there was gonna be something interesting done with her, but there was nothing. But, anyway, she, like, does everything, like, she risks everything to save this human who she's never met, and does a lot of that, which is great. Like, that is, like, the underlying morality of the book that, like, you should be prioritizing the lives, even of those that you don't know. Good. Yeah. I'm glad that she's not, like, sacrificing the lives of innocents in order to save only her, like, inner circle. I think that that is good. And it. I could easily have seen it going the other way. But it does feel like she, like, has this, like, humanitarian impulse to save all of the innocents that, like, is equally as strong as her desire to save her like found family best friends. And I'm like, hmm. Which Except
1: Reese. Yeah. Well, and also like I feel like Sarah J. Moss is trying to like say something smart about war and the cost of war and just like I think that it is mm-hmm. good that when there is a battle in the Summer Court, like, more of a guerrilla warfare-style battle that, like, Farrah is in the middle of, where they are, like, killing people and people are their best selves and their worst selves and all of those things. Like, I think that Sarah J. Moss is trying to say something smart about the cost of war. And, like, I think Farrah realizes those things about, like, brutality and ugliness, and then she's still like, but we still have to try to save everyone. Yeah. So it's interesting that, like, she, like, learns all those things and then is still, like, but we have to, like, be a dreamer about the amount of bloodshed that we can stop.
0: Yeah. I think that this kind of, like, gets to this idea that I didn't put in the outline but I've been thinking about a lot, which is that, like, I feel like a lot of the, the, like, novels that I typically read or, like, the novels that I've read, like, in my studies – as an English major and like grad student and stuff are like really, really principally occupied with the question of like, what is true? Like what it is, what is it like to like be a person? Like, what is it like to like really experience whatever it is that is being focused on? So like war is a good example, like with various books that I've read and books that I've taught even like they're written by people who have experienced war firsthand and therefore, like, really, really dwell in the, like, complexities and, like, contradictions of it. Not just, like, people are their best selves and worst selves, but also, like, the humor and how it's not just, like, making little jokes to distract from things, but how your, like, very sense of humor gets, like, fucked up from seeing so much, like, violence. Like, you become desensitized to it and end up kind of, like, making jokes that you never would have before and like your sense of morality just like gets shifted. I'm like picking up a lot of this from The Things They Carried, which is a book that I teach. He talks about that a lot and it's a Vietnam War veteran who's like really making observations about his real experience and the distance between that and like this type of book where like it's not really – driven by like the desire to like say something true it's driven by the desire to say something like compelling or like entertaining and so every time like at every turn when we're like what's gonna happen it's one of the reasons why it's easier to predict I think is because it's not based on like a deep observation about life it's based on like what would be compelling to these like base instincts that we have We have the instinct to see a love story come to fruition. We have an instinct to have the stakes be higher and higher and higher and, like, defy death and, like, all of these, like, really, like, core, like, elemental things about humans. Like, we want to be able to defy death. We want to be able to, like, have, like, control over the monsters and, like, all of those things. Like, I feel like fantasy kind of, like, is a way of exploring those things instead of a way of exploring, like, what life actually is like but which is like good and I I think that's why this book was so easy for me to read even though it's 700 pages and like for a lot of it nothing happens it's easy to read because it's like meant to be easy to read it's meant to be like wish fulfillment in some sort of way and the parts that I get stuck are when she seems like she's like trying to do something true like trying to reflect a true thing And I'm like, you don't need to do that. That's actually not what I'm here for. Like, you can – and I didn't feel that initially when I read ACOTAR because I I hadn't learned yet how to read this type of book. But now that I've learned how to read this type of book, I'm like, okay, don't try and say anything too nuanced about war because that's not what I'm actually here for. And so I feel like I've, like, changed my entire perspective because now I, like, see – the dual, like, purposes. Do you know what? Does
1: that make sense? I think that makes a lot of sense. I think maybe we should... I'll, I'll say a couple of things that I think Sarah J. Moss is good at writing about. And that she yeah. actually does, like, have a good in-depth understanding of. And it's why her books are compelling. And then I think that we should get into what happens in the book. Yeah. So... I think that Sarah J. Moss really understands that her readers want to read books about people who love each other. And, like, not just in a romantic way, but, like, even though we were just complaining about the way that, like, Farah is with the rest of her court, no matter how close she is to them. Like, like there is a section in the book where morrigan comes out to her and morrigan had like never come out to anyone who she was not like actively with before and to me it doesn't ring super true like <sighs> yeah because like Farah never broaches the conversation about cassian and Azriel with more they just like jump into arguing with each other they're There's so much arguing in these books that you don't see as much of the love. They're either, like, surface-level bestie giggly friends or, like, they're fighting because they love each other that much. I don't know. But I think that she, like, writes about characters who care about each other and her readers, like, see that. And I also think that she does a very good job, as much as I think the magic of this book doesn't make any sense... I think that she really builds interesting worlds, and I wish that an editor, or that she was in a fucking writer's group with Brandon Sanderson. Like, I don't really give a (laughs) fuck. Like, I wish that she had someone in her corner, like, asking her to do better. And I guess that's how I feel about, like, all of these authors that I'm reading is I'm like, oh my god, the bones! (laughs) yeah. The bones are so good. (laughs) Yeah. Like, my mom is in a writer's group or was in a writer's group. And she talked a lot about how, like, part of learning to write and being in a writer's group is, like, holding each other accountable. She told me a story about editing someone's novella. She, like, put out a, like, call on this forum. And my mom was like, yeah, I can do it. And my mom basically, like, ripped her a new one. Because it, like, was not good. And my mom was basically like, why? Like, what's going on here? Was basically her response. But, like, constructively. And the lady was basically like, you're the only one who did that. And honestly, it made my book a lot better.
0: So, like, who is
1: going to rip Sarah J. Moss a new one?
0: Yeah. I literally looked in the the acknowledgement section for, like, some my editor yeah like some friends who are like in there because like a lot of the time I love I love reading acknowledgement sections I think it's like so sweet and hers like usually I like look for other authors that I know because usually authors are friends with other authors and like a lot of the time they like they're writers that I know because it makes them better yeah, in a previous book, she thanked Victoria Avillard, who wrote Red Queen and all of those, but she We're didn't in this solid. one. So, so, um, hmm, maybe some friendship drama. I don't know. <laughs> but she was thanked in, uh, Mist and Fury, but not in this one. And I didn't recognize any of the other names, which is not to say that they're not also writers, but I just, like, didn't recognize them. But I do think that, like, when you recognize the authors in the acknowledgement section, like, you can almost, like, see in your mind, like, what influence they had on it. You know what I mean? Like, you can kind of be like, oh, like, it makes so much sense that, like, this book, which has the strength of this, would have been... Influenced by this, like with Victoria Aviard, I think one of her strengths is writing like, like male love interests who are like sneaky, (laughs) you know, like that you don't really know what to make of them. And then they can really like, there's good plot twists. So it makes sense that she would be thanked in Mist and Fury because that's what's going on. Yeah. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder what influence those other people have had on this. but. I do agree that she writes relationships overall pretty well. And I think her pacing, for the most part, is good. Like, what we've been talking about, about, like, how the last 100 pages are just like, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Like, that makes it really easy to read. And she, like, ends her chapters on bangers. And she made me cry. So, it's not like she's, like, not popping off. It's just... I think that perhaps because we have reached peak fiction in <laughs> 2023, we have such high standards of like, yeah, I think that I think that I have high standards. I think that you have high standards and she is doing a lot of things really well, but her prose is corny as hell and we're going to get into that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So instead of doing a two minute, Six-minute, 15-minute, and then, and then, and then summary, which is what it would be, honestly. We probably would never finish summarizing the book. Um, Jess is just going to flip open Aka War at random, and then I'm going to try to explain what's going on (laughs) at that point
0: in the book. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna start in, like, the first third. Okay, page 102. Lucian blew out the candle and I listened to the sounds of him settling down as well. My father will hunt you for taking his power if he finds out, he said into the frigid dark, and kill you for learning how to wield it. He can get in line, was all I said. My exhaustion was a blanket over my senses as gray light stained the cave walls. I'd spent most of the night shivering, jolting at every snap and sound in the forest outside, keenly aware of Lucian's movements on his bedroll. From his own haggard face as he sat up, I knew he hadn't slept either, perhaps wondering if I'd abandoned him, or if his family would find us first. Or mine. We took each other's measure. What now? He rasped, rubbing, <laughs> scrubbing a broad hand over his face. Rhys had not come. I had not heard a whisper of him down the bond. I felt for my magic, but only ashes greeted me. We head north, I said, until the Bane is out of our systems and we can window. Or I could contact Rhys and the others. My father's court lies due northward. We'll have to go east or west to avoid it. No, east takes us too close to the summer court border, and I won't lose time by going too far west. We go straight north. My father's sentries will easily spot us. Then we'll have to remain unseen, I said, rising. I dumped the last of the contaminated food from my pack. Let the scavengers have it. Okay,
1: so at this point... In the novel, Farrah has completely undermined the Spring Court. So she went back with Tamlin, Fox and the Hen House. You made it two hours into the last pod. We talked about that. Um, <laughs> and she has, like, systematically destroyed Tamlin's people's trust in him and also ruined part of his relationship with Highburn relationship with and then run. And she took Lucian with her. Um, because, I don't
0: remember how Lucien ended up going with her, but I'm glad he did. They're, like, in the woods or something, and then she gets attacked, and then he, like, has to, I think. I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, no, she's about to make it out, and Anthe is, um, has literally locked up Lucien with, like, handcuffs, and is trying to sexually assault him. And Farah stops it. And like forces Yanthi to smash up her own hand with a rock, like over and over and over again. Oh, other uh something else we have to talk about with the magic that doesn't make any sense is like I don't really understand how Cassian's like wings can be in tatters, but he can heal and be fine, but like we can't heal the Illyrian women's wings who are being clipped so they can't fly anymore. That sucks yeah. to me. Um anyway. Yes, so they escape, and they're, like, going through the mountains, and Farrah doesn't really trust Lucian, and Lucian doesn't really trust Farrah, but they, like, have been- their magic has been dampened with poison, and so they are, like, having to, like, hike through everywhere, and she can't talk to Reese because the bond won't work because of the Feybane. and they go through the mountains, and they have to, like, hike through all this territory in Prithian, and right when they're about to make it to the Winter Court- lucian's terrible brothers find him and then they get just enough magic just enough magic to be able to like lock lucian's brothers in a cave and run and hide and then right when they're about to die lucian's brothers have found them again eris is about to kill Pharaoh, eris who was originally engaged to the morgon very messy um cassian <laughs> and asriel land on the ice and like take care of business. And here's what I will say. I think that Sergey Mas captured fight or flight in the first part of this book very well because Farah was experiencing I think something that like I don't know. I this is going to be a bad example. Last week after practice I got a little bit of a headache. And I, like, had had heat exhaustion all week, so I was kind of worried, and I, like, drove home, but it took, like, 30 minutes longer than usual, because they took 35 down to one lane, and so it was backed up really far, and I got myself home, and then, like, as soon as I was in the door, I was like, oh my god, I can't move. Like, my head hurts, and I'm gonna die, and I have to get in the shower, and I have to go to bed, but I, like, got myself all the way home, and, like, Farah got herself all the way home. And then by the time yeah. and then Cassian and Azriel get there and she's like, Great, you take it.
0: All yeah. yours.
1: I'm done. I my body experienced all the stress it could. It used all the adrenaline it had. And now this is your business, not mine. And like yeah. I think that's very realistic is for you yeah. to be like, Okay. Like, <laughs> thank you.
0: Yeah. All yours. Yeah, I think that's true. It is a good representation of like she, th- everyone is like at their breaking point for a lot of this, and I think that they do a good job of like showing that.
1: Um. Oh, but then she gets back to Valeris. They take her home, and she has like had a very traumatic couple of days. And honestly, the first thing that they do is fuck. Like, it's yeah.
0: gross.
1: I'm, I'm hungry. That. I don't know about you. I'm hungry.
0: Like, yeah. These. Motherfuckers are just insatiable for all these dogs. Yeah, and I really, I can't, I can't, I won't. I like, I, I think that it's too. It's not that it's too much. It's that it's always at the wrong time. Like they're always, (laughs) they're always fucking like in a tent. On a battlefield. And, like, I'm, like, does that... I'm sure that that happens. I'm sure that there's, like, something about the, like, adrenaline and the whatever, whatever. But it doesn't feel like Sarah J. Moss is, like, like writing it because it actually happens. I feel like she's writing it because she's, like, wouldn't it be hot if they had sex, like, in the war tent right by the, like, big map (laughs) and I'm like oh I don't know but really what bugs me is when they like are like I cannot stand I am so exhausted I've just had this near-death experience I've depleted my magic so incredibly and then they get to bed and then they're like you want to fool around and I'm like "Mm, I don't you're tired you're tired
1: (laughs) Like, when you're- all your magic is depleted, you've been physically fighting a war, not just mentally fighting a war. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, you got in that little cot and you fell asleep before you could even manage to roll over for a goodnight kiss. Like- Yeah. Yeah. I think that something that makes me sad is it doesn't- like, it feels like Sarah J. Moss is trying to say that they are taking physical comfort in each other. With them like still wanting to have that intimacy even at war. But like, this is going to sound very Christian. Hugs are intimacy. Like, <laughs> like give her a side each hug. Other, holding each other is intimacy. Like being physically close to your partner. Without <laughs> penetration, my god. Like <laughs> is intimacy. And so for yeah. her to be like, okay. They like love and care for and like essentially is saying we'll die without each other, like, but they they have to be boning. Man, if I'm fighting in like the biggest war the Fey have ever seen against the biggest enemy they've ever faced, I'm not really thinking about how bad I wanna get off. Yeah. I no. think I'm
0: probably thinking about how bad I wanna get the blood off me. But, like, not getting off. She keeps saying, like, Reese kissed my, my blood caked forehead. And I'm like, ew. Uh, do you think that
1: the, um, the Faye can, like, transfer that? Do you think bloodborne diseases exist?
0: <laughs> no. I don't I think, think so that, either. Um, I think if, Rules for the magic don't exist. <laughs> blood-borne seasons don't exist.
1: Because it seems like their wounds can get infected. Because, like, Rhysand's wounds got infected, but, like, only because of poison.
0: Yeah. No, I feel like there's not any, like... There's no sickness besides poison, feybane, that's in this. Yeah. So I don't well, know. Well,
1: and here's the other thing. This is another thing. Pharaoh decides to learn to fly. She like decides to like oh yeah shape shift into having Illyrian wings. And I want to know how she can like use all the power in her whole body, and she's so strong, and yet she like can't shape shift herself to have the back muscles to be able to hold the wings up well. <laughs> I just, like, that's a major plot hole to me. I'm, like, I think if you can shapeshift, you can just use the wings. Like, well,
0: I feel like shapeshifting, like, seems like in every way is just a cheat code. Right?
1: And, like, I think it is. And also, I just don't understand how you can, like, never be tired and, like, like your body is so strong and so crazy and then she's like so sore from trying to fly for a day that like she can barely walk the next day which one is true which one is true yeah either you are so strong so powerful so different or you're not
0: but you right yeah yeah what are the rules do we want to go to another part yeah Page 339. Okay. Lucian was staring at Elaine as he spoke. We all looked at him. Lucian shifted his focus to Reese, to me. I'll go, he repeated, raising to his feet, to, to find this sixth queen. Moore opened and shut her mouth. What makes you think you could find her? Reese asked. Not rudely, but from a commander's perspective. Sizing up the skills Lucian offered against the risks, the potential benefits. This eye, Lucian gestured to the metal contraption. It can see things that others... Dot, 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 can't. <laughs> Spells and glamours. Perhaps it can help me find her and break her curse. He glanced at Elaine, who was again studying her lap. I'm not needed here. I'll fight if you need me to, but... He offered a grim smile. I do not belong in the autumn court, and I'm willing to bet I am no longer welcome at home the spring court. Home, almost said. But I cannot sit here and do nothing. Those queens with their armies, there is a threat in that regard, too. So use me. Send me. Choose me. Love me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I will find Vasa. See if she can dot, dot dot bring help. You'll be going into human territory, Reese warned. I can't spare a force to guard you. I don't need one. I'll travel faster on my own. His chin lifted. I will find her, and if there's an army to bring back, or at least some way for her own story to sway the human forces, I'll find a way to do that too. My friends glanced to each other. Moore said, it will be very dangerous. A half-smile curved Lucian's mouth. Good. It'd be boring otherwise.
1: So, I want you guys to know that there are 6 m em-dashes and six set of ellipses. In that one page of writing. <laughs> so, like, like, there's so many dot, dot, dots. Sarah J. Moss feels like an author who, like, she's getting let out of the house for the first time. She, she wants to describe <laughs> every outfit. She wants to describe every facial expression. She wants to describe every pause in conversation. I think I said this last week, but, like, if your dialogue is good, we understand. If you have characterized your characters well enough, if we are to understand Lucian is the fox, which, he's an emissary for the spring court, and he literally had a fox mask glued to his face (laughs) for the entire first book. We understand that he is crafty and sly and cunning. And we also understand through his friendship with Farah that we've seen for two books that he is generally a man trying to do his best. Then we don't need all the ellipses and all of the pauses and all of the, it'll be dangerous. Like, (laughs) show us Lucy (laughs) volunteering. Show that he's doing it because he knows he's trying to give Elaine space. And send him on his way. Like, yeah. show us that he is brave and smart and sly. Show him that, show us that he is self sacrificial. I feel like you could do that in like half the amount of page space that she used. Like, it's just. Yeah. And half of it is ellipses. What are you, a 55 year old woman texting? Like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my, my father saying, meet me at home, dot, dot, dot. Oh my god. <laughs> I'd
1: pee my pants if I got one of
0: those. That's the scariest text you can get! And it's literally just him being being like, I made an extra copy of your keys to the Ford Focus because I know you lose them all the time. He's just, like, texts like a harbinger of bad news. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway. Well, in this moment,
1: they made it back to the night court. And this is, I did describe this book to Jess as like being very Avengers Endgame, where yes. they kind of have to get the whole band back together before something can happen. Mm-hmm. Except the band, half of the people in it haven't even been mentioned until
0: the back, like, third of this book. Yeah. Which is. It's like the, the randos. It's the falcon. It's Ant-Man. It's Captain Marvel, who is a plot hole in herself. It's. All of them. All of the, yeah. like, the ones that we don't really give a fuck about, but are the coolest ones. Those are not the ones we don't give a fuck about. The ones the writer doesn't give a fuck about. Because I would love to hear more about Miriam and Draken And Jurian. And Vasa! Yeah. All of these, they're all so interesting. They all assemble at the very end. But, yes, sorry. Go ahead.
1: And they like but they're like starting to break apart so they can go assemble and the night the like the cohort of best friends are starting to break apart because Resand is having to to ally with Eris, who is like spoiler alert, probably not that bad. Like yeah. honestly, probably not that bad. Um <laughs> I actually read a very good Nesta and Cassian fanfic. That was very long. And Nesta and Eris become best friends. And it was Cute. awesome. It was great. Yeah. Because he's like, I like that you're a stone-cold bitch. And I'm never going to ask you to change. And she's like, <laughs> sick. I will not be changing. And it kind of goes never change, And it's very fun. But, like, all of that aside to say, like, they do, I think... Like, a good job with, oh, and this is right before the High Lord meeting, which I want you to talk about because you're excited about it. We get the politics in the middle third of this book. So they have a High Lord meeting. Everyone shows up, including Tamlin, after Farah blew up his court. And he says some really atrocious things to her. And Eris says some really atrocious things. And all the High Lords are are betting on who's going to start the first fight, which I will say. I love when found families bet on fights. <laughs> it's actually a very consistent trope where they're always like, "Okay, me and my merry band of misfits have to go to this big meeting with the grown-ups, and then they're always like, and we're we're going to bet on what's going to happen." And it's always funny.
0: Yeah. That's fair. I'm telling you, making predictions is fun and funny.
1: Oh my god, I have to tell you, I told Sam what Diego said about how he, like, came upstairs and was like, I worked construction, I've been studying for this, and Sam was like, yeah, he only got, like, three. He wasn't that good at it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Damn. That's... It was his birthday. Don't be rude. (laughs) He also had, like, nine drinks, or more. (laughs)
1: Like...
0: Justice it Francisco. was just very
1: funny. Men love to be rewriting a narrative.
0: So, can I talk about the High Lords meeting? Yes. Oh my it's god. Exotic. Okay. So, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting not so patiently for all of them to assemble so we can finally fucking meet them. Because they keep having little one-word sentences or one Sentence long things that are like, Reese told me the stories of all the High Lords, and I'm like, okay. Tell us. Tell me. I want to (laughs) know. Yeah, like, you're gonna describe everyone's outfit in detail, but you're not gonna tell me the name of the Dawn Court High Lord for, like, the first three books? That's crazy to me. Anyway, because, like, they're, if they're trying to defend Prithian, and the power understandably, is sort of like divided among seven people, I feel like they should be really important. So we finally get them and they're important. So we get this meeting that happens at the Dawn Court and the Dawn Court is beautiful, which makes sense because it has like a sunrise sky and it's just gorgeous. Everything is like carved into a mountain that like, if Reese's palace is carved out of moonstone. This is carved out of sunstone, is the way she says it. And everything's glowing, and it's just gorgeous. And we have the Dawn Court guy, the main guy. His name is Thesson, and he just is a good host, and his gift is healing. And then we have um Callias, or ca- how do you pronounce it?
1: Girl, I don't know.
0: Callias. 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 it. Callias. He is the High Lord of the Winter Court. He looks like Jack Frost, (laughs) based on the description. Like, he looks like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Jack Frost. He has a a wife that we love. And he also has a bunch of reindeer and polar bears and little white foxes that (laughs) travel with him. But he's always wearing fur, and he's just fun. But kind of like, he's he's not jolly. He's very serious, but he's, he's got like a fun retinue. Helion, who's the High Lord of the Day Court. He's the sun guy. And he gives Pharaoh her power to glow. callias the winter guy, gives her the ice, obviously. And that's the solar court. So you have the night court, day court, dawn court. And then the seasonal courts, we've met all of them. The winter court. Autumn is barren and all of his sons. He gives her fire. He is the worst. He's a Trump supporter. We hate him. He, and by that, I mean that he, like, is talking about how, like, the humans take away our opportunities and all this stuff. Like, it's, it's very Trump coded to me. Yeah. And he has all these sons and these sons kind of just like, walk around and do whatever he says except for eris eris is plotting against him so he's like an ally of them and wants to kill his father etc baron is the oldest one also and then spring court obviously is tamlin um summer court is tarkin or tarkin and his niece and nephew Cressida and Varian and we met them in the previous book because we went there to steal the orb from them and we also like them and they kind of forgive um, the night court people for stealing from them over the course of this book. They also, I mean, part of it has to do with the fact that when they get attacked by Highburn, the night court is the only one to defend them. So they eventually patch up that relationship. So that's all of them. And they all kind of like have their own deals. Like Helion seems like he's like really like cruel and like beautiful and cruel and harsh. And then he like comes and hangs out with Reese and he's like, ha ha ha, we're buddies and we're friends. And Helion sleeps with more and he's like always, he is a bisexual king and he's always flirting with the Illyrians, et cetera. And it's a bisexual representation that's like kind of whatever. Like, fine, I guess. Every yeah. every bisexual in every, like, in media like this, they always are proposing three subs. Like, that's the only thing that a bisexual person ever does in media like this. And they're just, like, swaggering around with no, like, actual feelings. Like, they're just, like, have sexual bra- bravado and no, like, is it all vibes, no substance? But, we do love him. He ends up saving Feyre from the... The... Highburn forces, or whatever. Um,
1: simple. he ends up saving her... He finds her... So she goes to... The woods to try to find the Suriel. And... She catches the Suriel, but it turns out that e- Eanthi has... Like, been tracking the Suriel, and kills the Suriel...
0: Which and then Farah's
1: like it actually deeply sad, very sad. And Farah's like, okay, I know where I'm close to, and she runs to the Weaver of the Wood's house and is basically like, I brought you dinner. And then the Weaver of the Wood, like, eats Eanthe's whole self and like becomes Eanthe. Which This is the second time this has happened to me. I know it doesn't matter for the plot of the book, but like I really thought Eanthe was a blonde in the second book. But then in the third book, when the Weaver comes to fight for Prithian's forces, she's in an anti skin suit, and they describe her as dark-haired, and both times I have read this book, I've been like, no way.
0: She does that with a lot of characters. She she changed Amarantha's hair color at one point. She's just like doesn't write shit down like just make a note card like make little trading cards for your little characters and it also seems like it only happens with like the women in their hair like morgan changes i don't know it's kind of strange anyway so yeah helion saves her but the meeting so the meeting is like they're trying to get an alliance and like honestly some some points are made because people are like Reese, you were, like, fucking Amarantha the entire time that we were being oppressed by her. And, like, I don't know. I feel like it's interesting that you were, like, letting us be oppressed by her. And you were, like, kind of, like, plotting and scheming and not letting us into that. Like, Callias brings up how, like, his court, the Winter Court, like, rebelled against Amarantha and then, like, was really severely punished for it. And Reese just, like, stood by and watched while, like, a bunch of, like, children from the Winter Court are killed. And he's like, yeah, but I, like, was just, I was trying to save you. Like, I, like, tried to get, like, I made the case for her to not kill you. And he's like, that's, like, not a good enough reason. Basically, they're all kind of, like, airing out their grievances from the 50 years that they were under the mountain and from before then. And Tamlin comes and he's, like, Hey, Reese, have you ever noticed that little sound that Farah makes before she comes?
1: <laughs> in front of all of them. <laughs> and all of their courts. Also, and this is honestly a point that I think she's trying to make through this whole book, and she also makes an in A Court of Silver Flames, which is that, like, Rhysand is always plotting and scheming, and he is never letting people in at the right time. Yeah. He, like really consistently deeply hurts people by being like i gave you the information you needed
0: right yeah that's like all he's like he yeah he's always like and they they kind of like develop a theme a little bit in this one where it's like he is self-sacrificial to a fault like to the point that the people who love him and surround him are like stop like you're not actually solving the problem you're just like making it so that you are bearing the brunt of it and people don't want you to do that. And that is kind of like, I'm glad that they mentioned that because that is very true that he has been doing that. And I hope that that gets, although I probably not going to read the next two books, but I hope in, in theory that that gets kind of like fleshed out more and not just kind of like swept under the rug because it is true that like, He probably did not have very many good choices available to him, but it's also true that it would be very difficult to trust someone who has been, like, putting on this front of being, like, this cruel conniving bastard for, like, literally 500 years. You know? Like, that's that's too long to put up a front and then expect people to just, like, forget about it.
1: Well and then they also blow the whole thing up of like no one knows that I am a good man because like Helian comes just like sauntering on into their room to flirt with everyone and he's like, Yeah, how's Valeris? How's everybody? I miss Amrin, like you, yeah. my buddy Resand. And it's like, okay, could you not mention that you were like buddies with the Lord of the of the day court sooner?
0: Yeah. Or like like same thing with Caius and like and Vivian, who's his wife, who, like, is besties with more. Like, they, like, are, like, squealing and giggling and gossiping. I'm like, okay, so they must know. So, like, the Winter Court and the Day Court are their two closest allies. They definitely know that Reese is not, like, a, like, sadist, which is what his reputation seems to be. And so I'm kind of confused on, like, how he's actually able to keep such a secret if like presumably they were if they were under the mountain for 50 years like they'd be around each other i guess they don't trust each other i don't know i just i think that there's a lot of like loosey-goosey stuff because i don't think that she was thinking it through when she wrote reese in the first book like she wrote him as such a like a jerk and then she was like actually he's kind of Ooh, I kind of like him. And then she has to, like, unweave her web. And then there's, like, some messy stuff there.
1: You know um, that picture of, like, Charlie Day where he looks really crazy and there's the map with all the lines yeah. trying to connect things? That is what her storyboard should look like. <laughs> but I don't think that she's willing to – To put in the work to get rid of her continuity issues. Yeah. Like, these are fixable things. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's just not fixing them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a lot of... And I also would find it more interesting if, like, these lords were like making decisions based not just on like the vibes they feel with the other high lords but based on like the internal politics of their lands and like what they like need to do for like i'm thinking about how in like a lot of other like high fantasy that i've read there will be like a vignette of like a common person in this like land and then you see and like They're concerned about, like, the price of bread or something. And then you, like, pivot to the council of the king or whatever. And, like, one of his advisors is bringing to him this concern that, like, the people are ready to riot about the price of bread. Like, you need to make this decision. And because you've just seen a common person, like, you've either been in their perspective or you've, like, seen them from, like, a third person point of view, you, like, kind of understand that that is like a real thing that they need to respond to but instead of that we kind of get like it seems like the high lords are just like kind of like playing blocks like they're like like ooh, what if we do this and like we have so much magic that we have these armies but we also could just like fight the war with our magic because we're so powerful
1: so i think that something and this kind of goes back to the like truthfulness of Sarah J. Moss's writing. Where are the questions about what it is to become immortal? Because like yeah. Nesta and Elaine, like Ferris, kind of like, oh, cool, I get to be with Rice forever. But like Nesta and Elena were like, I, I don't want to be immortal, right? And, like, they keeping like, it is so cool that we have these human souls and these immortal bodies, and it's, like, being immortal kind of blows. Like, the reason that the High Lords are like this is because they have millennia to be petty as fuck. Yeah. Like, there's nothing else to do. It's kind of, it's kind of the point that I think, um, oh, my God. Okay, there's, um, this, like, children's book series about, Two young girls who are descended from the Brothers Grimm, who have to, like, basically, like, make the people in fairy tales act right. And at one point, they have to go to, like, and their adopted brother is Puck from A Midsummer's Night Dream, and he's a real nightmare. But they have to go, basically, like, visit the cast of A Midsummer's Night Dream. And, like, get them to stop being crazy. And, like, the whole through line of this children's book is basically, like, there is nothing for them to do except act like this. And mm. I kind of think that's what Sarah J. Moss is getting at, albeit poorly, is, like, part of the reason they're acting like this is there is, n- there is no... Nothing changes.
0: Yeah. It would have been really cool if they had, like... When she, when Feyre or when, like, her sisters had been turned immortal, like, Amren or Moor or someone had, like, sat them down and been, like, being immortal. Like, a lot of humans, like, the human queens specifically, like, sacrifice everything to become immortal. But immortality, like, comes with, like, it changes the way that life feels. Because, like, time no longer rips through your life the way that it does in a human life. Like, everything is different. Like, your relationship to things will feel different. Like, here is what it is like. And, like, they probably would be resistant to it and stuff. But, like, I feel like that would be a lot more interesting. And she could say really interesting stuff about, like, the value of a human life. Like, how it's this, like, brief flicker of everything all at once and then it's extinguished like that is interesting in contrast to a life that could stretch forever but also i kept thinking about like how death is kind of treated the same way in this that it's treated for humans like it's like that's tragic but like there's hopefully like there's something on the other side but if you, like, presumably could live forever and you die, like, it's not like, well, everybody dies. Like, it's going to happen sometime. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you're, like, in your, like, 60s or 70s, like, you're kind of like, okay, well, like, I'm, I'm accepting that this will at some point happen to me. Like, you're, like, an elder statesman. You're accepting that that's going to happen. You have kind of, like, a gracious bowing out from, like, the world of living all of that like there's so many tropes about that if you're wanting to rely on tropes there's so much there's so much mythology about dying in like a an honorable and glorious way but if you're immortal presumably never to die then isn't dying like that much more tragic cuz it's not assumed to happen like i i kept just like being shocked by how much people didn't mourn death more as Fey,
1: you know? And they're, they're very, like, um, the birth rate is really low, like, we, like, struggle to reproduce, like, younglings are a blessing, but, like, then they die at the same rate as humans. Like, there are hundreds of Illyrians dead. Thousands yeah. of Illyrians dead. Okay, how many are there? How many Illyrians <laughs> are there? And how, just like, once again, the rules of this world don't make sense. Because, like, when we meet the Illyrians in book two, they're like, we're the fiercest fighting force there is in Prithian. Okay, by the end of the third book, there are three other types of fae-winged warriors. Yeah. Like, and two of them (laughs) have, like, Dante's Inferno, like, angel names yeah like what are we doing? Just adding more just for fun i I want to talk about the linguistics a little bit, and then I think we should do maybe like one more section of reading.
0: yeah,
1: um, we also I think should talk about all the death monsters they get to fight on their side
0: because I do think yeah. that that's a lot of fun.
1: we um, should
0: talk about the Avengers a symbol of it all.
1: There's a mountain range called the Myrmidons. Is this the Odyssey? Where the fuck are we pulling from?
0: Like... <laughs> everywhere.
1: Like, pulling from everywhere. The Morrigan is from Celtic mythology. Helion? Helios? God of the sun? God of the day court? Okay. There's one of the, the flying angels with feathery wings is a seraphim, or seraphim, which is like an angel with wings from the bible or from dante's inferno i get the two mixed up when we get into the (laughs) mythology of the bible like how how many different lores are we gonna pull from because the fey are a very um northern european kind of idea at least the fey as i think we are supposed to read them as like tricksters in this book in the Midsummer Night's Dream sense of fae they are supposed to be Celtic British Germanic like up there on the continent yeah. and she's just like but we could be
0: Greek we could be <laughs> biblical we or could be I look so you know how she refers to Morrigan as the Morrigan all the time yeah I looked that up because I was curious and it turns out that the Morrigan is a Celtic goddess, and is just directly lifted. So it's like, I'm looking like at Like, she's the, the
1: truth-telling god- goddess from can Celtic I, I'm mythology?
0: Gonna, I'm gonna read a little bit from the Wikipedia, which I have open.
1: I will allow so, it. So,
0: <laughs> the Morrigan is mainly associated with war and fate, especially foretelling doom, death, or victory in battle. In this role, she often appears as a crow. She incites warriors to battle and can help bring about victory over their enemies. She encourages warriors to do brave deeds, strikes fear into their enemies, and is portrayed as washing the bloodstained clothes of those fated to die. She is most frequently seen as a goddess of battle and war and has also been seen as a manifestation of the earth and sovereignty goddess, chiefly representing the goddess's role as guardian of the territory and its people. So, the Morrigan in Akatar is this gal (laughs) who is cousins with reese and has a tragic backstory but is kind of just like hanging out and there keeps being like allusions to her gift being truth like she's the truth teller and she was the truth teller in the war but not in a like foreteller of doom way like more in a just like she can't lie or she like knows the truth or something which seems like she's kind of like the surreal it's unclear it's unclear like why have we never developed the fact that, like, her gift is truth? Because when she comes out, she's like, my gift is truth, but I've been living a lie for my whole life because I prefer females or whatever. And I'm just, like, uh I, I am such a hater about this specific part because I think, Morgan, you could have done so much with it. It's so interesting. Honestly, it seems like she gave a lot of the, like, Cool shit to Amryn that she could have given to Morrigan. Like, you could have kind of combined those into two, like one character. And also, it's strange to be like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this character from Irish, Irish mythology, not change her name, make her like less powerful and less like cool, and then make her a lesbian. Like,
1: what? She can be a little why? gay. As a treat.
0: Like, <laughs> like, She has none of the, like, power or the, like, gravitas that, like, the Morgan from mythology has. She doesn't change it to a raven. She doesn't, like, have this, like, powerful connection to, like, the rank-and-file soldiers to sort of, like, wash the blood from their garments. Like, all of that stuff is so, like, evocative and cool and, like, has a lot of, just, like, power to it, I feel like. But Morgan in this, she's almost like a... Like a, I don't know, like she's like comic relief in a lot of scenes. And in other scenes, she's like the, um, the like bestie, the faira bestie that she, ne- she never gets to have just like a female best friend. And I wish that that was different. Like I wish that if she was pulling from all these different like world mythologies, like that could be a really cool thing. But the thing about world pathologies that's cool is that there's like oomph to them. And if you just make them like cute, then it ruins it, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I. There is. It's the same issue that I think we had with the first two books, which is. It's too much and not enough. Yeah. Okay, what's my third section to
0: explain? Okay. Let me see. The Surial had no eyelids <laughs> That's the first part of it. Okay. Um five thirty. The Surial had no eyelids, but its milky eyes flared with surprise. I cannot see, not him. He is not born of this earth. His thread has not been woven in. Its twisted mouth tightened. You wish to save Prithian so much that he would risk unleashing him. I think this is the carver. Yes, the moment I located the army, I'd unleash Bryaxus upon it. But as for the carver, he wanted a gift, in exchange. The Ouroboros. The Surreal let out a sound that might have been a gasp. Delight or horror, I did not know. The mirror of beginnings and endings. Yes, but I cannot retrieve it. You are afraid to look, to see what is within. Will it drive me mad? Break me? It was an effort not to flinch at that monstrous face, at the milky eyes and lipless mouth. All focused upon me. only you can decide what breaks you, curse breaker. Only you, not an answer, not really, certainly not enough to re- risk retrieving the mirror. The surreal again listened to that phantom wind. Tell the silver-eyed messenger that the answer lies on the second and penultimate pages of the book. Together they hold the key. The key to what? The surreal clicked its bony fingers together like the many-jointed limbs of a crustacean, tip-tapping against each other. The answer for what you need to stop high. It took me a heartbeat to understand, to register what had happened. To identify the wooden thing that burst through the Suriel's throat as an ash arrow. To realize what sprayed in my face, landing on my tongue and tasting like soil, was black blood. To realize that the thudding before the Suriel could even scream, more arrows. The Suriel stumbled to its knees, a choking sound coming out of that mouth. It had been afraid of the Naga that day in the woods, had known it could be killed. I surged toward it, palming a knife in my left hand, sword angling up. Another arrow fired, and I ducked behind a gnarled tree. The surreal let out a scream at the impact. Birds scattered into flight, and my ears rang. Then its labored, wet breathing filled the wood, until a lilting female voice crooned, Why does it talk to you, Feyre, when it would not even deign to speak with me? I knew that voice, the laughter beneath the words. Eanthi. Eanthi was here, with two hybron soldiers behind her.
1: I would like to discuss the fact... Well, one, it's unfair to hold people to the standard of writing that you're taught as, like, a third grader in terms of, like, sentences are supposed to have, like, they're supposed to be complete. Like, you're supposed to have a noun and a verb and, like, you're not supposed to start and finish them in certain ways because, like, I know that's not actually how people speak and, like, that's not a fair standard. But also, like, there's so many sentences in this book that's, like, and I'm making it chunky, and I'm, like, making it pause-ish, and, like, giving it a lot of, like, like, Eanthe period, enter. Eanthe was here, period, with two hibern soldiers behind her, period. Like, that's so cut up. Yeah. Like, I think that she's, like, trying desperately to build narrative tension. Don't worry, girl, you built the tension when you shot the cereal in the-, in the throat like yeah. which is sad this is a really sad section of the book actually and like i think that we get to see like true grief and sadness about 10 pages later and i think that that is good i think i think she's probably trying to show us that like Farah has not lost her humanity
0: through all yeah. of the
1: war which is good
0: yeah and the surreal like i love this part actually i thought that this was really surprising. Because the Surreal is, like, this creature who can only tell the truth. And, like, most people cannot catch it. But Feyre, like, seems to catch it all the time and be able to just, like, talk to it or whatever. And which I had been thinking was a plot hole. I was like, how come nobody else can catch the Surreal but she just, like, goes and talks to it whenever she wants? And it turns out that it's because the Surreal, like, believes in her and, like, thinks she is, like, kind and, like, has, like, a dream for, like – All of the, like, lesser fae and high fae to, like, live together, like, equally and all of that stuff. So she is the favorite of the surreal for, like, a real reason that has, like, coherence to it. And I like that. I think that, like, it's interesting that some of the lesser fairies, like, help Farah because she is sort of, like, representative of something else. Besides, like, what they've known for so long, which is, like, a system of high lords and stuff. So I think that that is really cool. And the serial, when it dies, kind of, like, gives her, like, last instructions. And then it, like, seeds what's going to end up happening with Amrin. And all that stuff. And so I really thought that this was very well done. And it was also, like, genuinely sad. Because when something that has, like, been part of the narrative for a long time dies, it's genuinely sad. Especially when they die, like, in a way that feels important. Which gets to the point that I put in the outline in all caps. Can someone just die and stay dead? Thank you to the Surreal for dying and staying dead. But, like, at the, at the very end of this... That spoiler a couple of the inner circle die, and then they come back to life. we'll talk about about that later, I guess, but I just think that's so
1: I think we should talk about it now because we're gonna we're gonna get into the battle. This is kind of where it just like the action takes off and never stops. so the secret that the surreal is speaking of i don 't know why I keep saying surreal, I think it's surreal um is that Amron has the book of of beatings, bindings, book of whatever, and I literally don't remember. Yeah, I me mean, Um yeah. Weavings! Does that sound right?
0: No. Okay, great. Breathings! Oh. Breathings! Breathing!
1: Heyo! <laughs> Amorin has this book, she's trying to decipher it, and then the surreal is like, the spell that you need to win the war is here. The spell to win the war is to release Amran from her trapped body, and like send her out into the world as like this a ba- basically like death eating force. And Farah is really mad at her and doesn't want to do it. And then Farrah does it and releases her. And Amran is like the last monster that they need beyond the gang that they already got together, yeah. which is the Bone Carver. Who I don't remember. Was he? Killing lots of people, or was it hand to hand combat, or was he like swinging his little his little bone scimitars, and then like people were just like falling
0: to the earth before him? I think he was like the description was like that he like could just barely touch them and they would just fall, okay,
1: okay, so we have the bone carver, we have the weaver of the wood who resand made a deal with, and the deal was like. You can keep Ianthi's face, but you have to battle for us, basically. And she's, like, cutting them a path up the mountain to get to the cauldron, because they think they're going to be able to break the cauldron apart to break Hibern's power. And so she does that, and then the third part of their little death trifecta, before we get to Miriam and Draken and their dad showing up, is Briaxis, who is the monster who lives at the bottom of the library, and who is fear itself. And honestly, I just picture a big black cloud. <laughs> like, you know, um, in cartoons, when people get in a fight and it like makes a little cat cloud and you can see like little fake swear words coming out of it yeah. and that sort of thing. That to me is what Briaxis looks like. Except it's, yeah, it's a huge black cloud and it's just rolling. up. It's, it's a dog that got let out to play.
0: <laughs> That's really funny. I love that. Yeah, she never really, like, looks directly at it, I feel like. We don't get as much of a description of it, but we know that it's scary.
1: Yeah. But all isn't that scary, though? Because all it loves its library. It loves to live in the <laughs> basement. He just wants to be able to see the sky. He's like, can you come tell me about the sky? And also, can you put a hole in the roof so I can see it? And they're like, that's all you wanted the whole time? Like,
0: damn. <laughs> We could have done this a long time ago. Eating all of these people, and he's like, I just, I don't know how to explain to you. I just want to see the sky. (laughs) Which, like, who hasn't been there? Yeah, me too, King. But... Yeah, they, like, Avengers assemble everybody, and their father, who has been off, quote-unquote, trading, which I knew something was going to happen, because they kept talking about, like, oh, he's been off on the continent trading. I thought that he was going to, like, be, like, captured by someone or something. But, no, he comes back with a human army, and he's found the human queen, Va- Vassa, who's, the, like, the other queen, the one that um was betrayed by, like, the other set of queens who wanted to become immortal at the end of the last book and she's cursed and she's a firebird by day and a human woman by night. And she brings her o- whole army somehow. And there's just, and Miriam and Draken, who are like from the first war, all of them come back and then Amryn gets unleashed from her fey body and she's able to just like snuff everybody out. But then she's dead. Like after she has killed everybody she is this like blinding light like she's not a form anymore she's just like this light and then the light kind of fizzles out and we're meant to understand that Amryn is dead but then the the cauldron which is this like source of endless power that is like the center of everything breaks Based on like Amran's power and like whatever else, I don't know, maybe the King of Hybron's death has to do with it, which we'll have to talk about the King of Hybron's death. But the cauldron breaks, and then there's this like black hole, basically. I was thinking of um Minutemen, the Disney Channel original movie, <laughs> where they they open a black hole on the football field. Anyway, so they like open this black hole basically by breaking the cauldron and then they have to put it back together using their power. And, um, Reese and Feyre basically just like mind meld to do that. And then by the time that they've done it, she like, they like look over at the cauldron and it's back together and she looks over at Reese and he's dead. <gasps> he's used all of his magic. He's become a sacrificial lamb and he is dead. And we're like, okay. So that's going to last for, like, two seconds. <laughs> because
1: she basically, have- she, like, screams and all the High Lords come running and she's basically like, you did it for me, give it back! Yeah. Do it again! Do it again! Yeah. Yeah. All agree to do it for some, like, a Baron doing it? Yeah, fat fucking chance. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't believe that for a second. And then Tamlin's the last one, and he gives a little bit of his magic to Rhys to bring him back. And he says, Be happy, Farah. And then he does it, and then he stalks off. Which, I put something in the outline about Tamlin that I Yeah, want to we should talk out. about it. So, okay. Dare I say it? Dare I you say may. it? I feel for that guy a little bit. I think that he was, like, made into a villain, obviously, like, in the previous book because she didn't want to do a love triangle thing. She just wanted it to be, like, flat out, like, Tamlin is bad. But I felt bad for him when he kept showing up to, like, High Lord stuff and he was all by himself. And everybody else has their their wife or their lover or their sons or their advisors or their friends or whatever and he has no one and Lucian has been the one who's been with him this entire time and he is now with the night court and they like have a moment where they like look at each other and i'm just like i feel sad for him like he has nobody this is
1: this is very men have to be held accountable for their actions but like they don't have to be held accountable to their upbringing and like yeah Tamlin has Centuries of abuse under his own father of being like, you want to be the high lord? You don't want to be the high lord? Like, like there's no such thing as a non-abusive father in these books. Like, even Rysand's father is is problematic. And like, yeah, there's just all of this stuff that is like very patriarchal and like toxic and bad. And so like, yes, Tamlin did lots of really bad shit that he shouldn't have done, but also like. Homeboy has never considered unpacking a feeling in his entire life.
0: Yeah. That'd make anybody crazy. He, like, loves Farah so much, like, because she, like, in the first book, like, she's the only one who, like, feels things as, like, deeply as he does, and, like, has so much, like, darkness in her. Like, he talks about, like, when he sees her paintings, he's like, "I, I don't feel alone anymore, basically. And you're like oh mm. and like then he ends up like being like way too overprotective and like not really knowing what she needs and like all of that stuff and like that's bad and he's a bad boyfriend and she should be with Reese and all of that but it sucks that like he already was so alone like he had to send so many of his sentries to die because of Amarantha's curse and like He doesn't have a family and he doesn't have anyone like he's just like all by himself, which is why he was so vulnerable to Ianthi in the first place, because he like needed someone there to like advise him and stuff. And so he's just like in a really vulnerable place, which like this is always the problem. Like there's always a toxic man who's in a really vulnerable place. And then he like does things that are worse that make him more isolated and therefore more vulnerable. And it's just like is a radicalization pipeline or whatever but it's still sad and like he does a couple of things in this where like you can tell that he really does love Feyre like he really does want the best for her like obviously he's like pissed and he like says some mean things but he also like Anytime that it comes down to it, he does what is right for her. Like, he, like, saves her when she's trying to go out of Hybron's camp. He, like, brings Reese back and, like, all of that. I can't tell whether SJM wants us to, like, forgive him or not. But I just felt kind of, like, sad for him and felt like there is this thing that does happen. It feels like it's, like, authentically being reflected here where, like, usually a man, but, like, any person – Based on their upbringing, based on the reaction that they have to their upbringing, which is toxic, like based on the way that they react to their bad upbringing, they further isolate themselves. And then because they have no one around them to like love them and hold them accountable, then they become worse and then they become worse. And then like, how do you get out of that? You know, like you're not going to be able to get out of that by yourself. And yeah, it just it just makes me sad.
1: So, in one of the fanfics that I read, Nesta goes to the spring court and is basically like, "Oh, you're not allowed to act like a little baby." And like <laughs> because I think I've read a lot, so I don't know. In A Court of Silver Flames, I'm pretty sure they have to go to Tamlin's court for something, and the house is, like, still destroyed, and it's, like, taken over by Ivy, and it's basically, like, this: the High Lord's Manor is, like, a reflection of his mental state, essentially. Kind of like when you have the depression bedroom, where the cups are everywhere, and, like, the clothes are all over the floor, and it's like, ah, uh, what are we supposed to do? That's happening to Tamlin. And Nesta for one, like, goes after some of the people in the spring court, and is like, why isn't anybody helping him? Yeah. And then she goes up to him and is like, you're a fucking high lord and you need to act like it.
0: Pull yourself together. You are a last girl. Basically. Like,
1: (laughs) I I do love when, like, a small, angry woman is like, can you fucking act right?
0: Like... Do you love that, Tuck? Do you love that? I wonder why you love that. (laughs) I don't know if I really say that
1: to people, or if I'm, or if I just come home to Sam and I'm like, if this person would fucking act right, you know. <laughs> so yeah. Okay, we are over an hour and a half in.
0: Okay, here's so, the last thing that I want to say. They bring Amryn back, and they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have brought Amryn back because that just defeats the all the stakes, and I don't like that. So Reece there's being no stakes back. in that this whole sense. book. There's no stakes in this whole book. That's the true beef. There's no stakes.
1: Every battle they win by the skin of their teeth. Like, none of the people who die we care about. They're just the grunt
0: people. Okay, so the
1: Illyrians who love war died in war. Okay. Slay. Yeah. Like. Yeah.
0: And which also is, is sad. I wish that we got a little bit of, like, the common folk. Like, when when they have the argument about, like, Cassian's like, I'm going to sacrifice myself. And Reese is like, no, you can't. I'll do it. And they're like, and then Farah has a thought to herself, I bet this conversation's never happened on an Illyrian battlefield. Bitch, if a people loves battle, like, if a people is, like, a very warlike culture, the very essence of war is, like, sacrifice. You think that they're not like on an individual level, like on the rank and file soldier level talking about that like they also have stakes of in their individual relationships with each other, like they give a fuck, they're not just like faceless, nameless, you know like i I feel like that that really rubbed me the wrong way because I was like, do you think that that only like the most powerful seven siphon Figures are the ones who like don't want to die here because I don't think that's true and like they're willing to because it's their culture and all that stuff, but I don't know that just rubbed me the wrong way as well. I wish we got a little bit more of the common folk in this narrative.
1: I have one more thing to say about the magic, and it's that the King of hyburn like kills the Weaver of the Wood like no problem, just like breaks her neck. Since when is breaking your neck going to kill someone in the Feylands? Like, <laughs> what? They don't make it clear what can actually kill a fairy person. That's one thing. And yeah. the other thing is, the person who ends up killing the King of Hybern is Elaine with a knife. She just sneaks up on him and kills him with a knife because he's so focused on Nesta. Like, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't make any sense. And she does this again in the fifth book where, like, there's this, like, right to become an Illyrian warrior and Nesta and her buddies... Get thrown into the right after they've been training, but none of them have wings, and they are the only ones who scale Ramiel and become the greatest Illyrian warriors of all time. Except they're Valkyries, Norse mythology, and <laughs> and it's like okay, so the girls went to to training camp for three months, and you usually train for like fifteen years before you take the right. Like Mulan, girl power. Hate. Girl power! (laughs) Like, yeah, it's great that a woman killed a man. But, like, this man has, like, single-handedly managed to kill so many people. And little Elaine just, like, sticks a knife through his neck and is like,
0: don't touch my sister. It's giving extremely, extremely Arya kills the Night King. It's literally the exact same. It's the exact same thing where the little girl... Except for Arya was an assassin, so that at least makes more sense. And also the don't touch my sister line, I laughed. I did laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I cried. I cried twice. And one time was when the their dad, like, comes with the warships and is like, I've been failing my daughters for years and I am, like, I'm done failing them or something like that. And he comes and he dies. and, And I'm just like, oh, my God, redemption. Cried that like I'm a sucker for
1: that. I tear up when the ships pull when into the ho- harbor.
0: He looks at Nessa and he's like, "I've loved you since the first time I held you. I'm so sorry I failed you." But da da I'm like, oh, <laughs> cried. And then I also cried when like Cassian is like about to die and he's like, "I." have no regrets in this life except that we didn't have more time, which is, like, so Hamilton core. I was like, <laughs> I'm running out of time, which honestly, like, it gets me, unfortunately. I fear that it does get me. I am sitting in Pickler Memorial Library once again <laughs> talking about the passage Hamilton. of time. <laughs> but I do – yeah, like, that was really compelling to me, and I do think that their, like, love story, which I – has been alluded to me that, like, in A Court of Silver Flames, it develops a lot more. And, like, Nessian, you keep saying Nessian, so I'm guessing that they end up being together. But, like, they have a very, 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 like, slow burn where, like, they don't really, like, talk that much or confess feelings for each other. But you can tell that they both, like, really give a fuck about each other. And then he's like, I wish we had more time. And I'm like, oh, I do, too. I really really wish, too. I wish that, too.
1: And then he doesn't die, so don't worry.
0: (laughs) But I did laugh when she said, don't touch my sister. So
1: I want to talk about, like, one more thing, which is, I originally thought that this was, like, a very similar sentiment in one of my favorite books. But now I'm realizing that this is just, like, the pure form of that sentiment instead of the, like, dick-measuring, self-sacrificial bullshit from this book which is in the second book of the Graceling series called Fire. Um the the female main character says, "Um will you forgive me if I take my strength from yours?" and the man, she's in love with, responds with, "You may always have whatever strength I have." And I was like, "Oh, that's kind of what's happening in this war." But it's not. Because they're not trying to give each other strength they're trying to push their strength in front of everybody else's so that the other people don't have to give anything. Yeah. And it's like... That's true. Like, if the sentiment had been, like, can I... Can you support me? Yes, I will always support you. That is better than... Yeah. I will do everything in my power to make sure that you, like, never have to go through what I am going through. Instead of like yeah. if they are to be this family, if they are supposed to build each other up. Like, where is it?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that um the you may always have whatever strength I have like is also speaks to like the idea of being equals like in practice and not just in name. I feel like there's a lot of lip service lip service done to the idea of like Farah and Reese being equals. And, like, she's the first ever high lady, and, like, that's cool and all, like, girl power, etc. But when it comes down to it, Reese ultimately, like, has the same mindset as Tamlin, which is, like, I will protect with everything that I have. And, like, that is, like, my foremost instinct is to, like, protect, protect, protect. And, like, admittedly, it's different because Tamlin is trying to, like, control in order to protect, and Reese is trying to, like sacrifice himself in order to protect but there's still like that sort of like patriarchal idea that like one it is one person's responsibility to like protect the people that they love to the exclusion of the other person's like participation in their own safety or their own like i don't know like contribution to the effort like i feel like there is a sense of like teamwork Among the inner circle. And yet when it comes down to it. And we've talked about this. And they mention it. Like when it comes down to it. Reese would rather like act alone. Than act as a team. Because he like wants. In in another sense I guess. Like control. Like he wants the information. He wants to be able to make the final decision. And a lot of the time that means. Putting himself at risk. More than his friends. But like he still leaves it. Where he gets to make the final call. Yeah. It's toxic. Which is really not that different from Tamlin.
1: There is... There is... No man... In an extremely popular piece of fiction... Who actually has a healthy relationship with a woman. (sighs) Like, Like... That is really how I feel about it. It is... Even someone like... Like, Rhysand, who is, like, your choices are always your own. But they're not if you make them before I can make them. Yeah. you're Like, n- just not because you, you don't didn't tell lock me in a house, like, yeah. doesn't mean you're not being a little bit controlling. Yes. Like, in A Court of Silver Flames, she has a life-threatening pregnancy, and he doesn't tell her.
0: Yeah, that's fucking crazy.
1: That's fucking crazy. That is just more proof that, like, they are... It doesn't really matter that they got married. Like, they're just mates.
0: Like... Also, I feel like that is, like, one of those things. It's like, you know how people say, like, there can be, like, the exact same action, but if a hot guy does it, it's, like, cute flirting, and if an ugly guy does it, it's harassment? Yeah. I feel like that... It's the same with, like, if she doesn't actually want to be with Tamlin and he, like, locks her inside a house and, like, freaks out and does all this stuff, then, like, that is enough to be, like, okay, I need to leave. But if Reese does something like that, she stays, I think, you know? (laughs) Like, she rationalizes it. She stays. Like, I don't know. That's just what I think. But – Maybe I'm wrong about that. Well, I feel like she could... I mean,
1: every single man in these books clearly proves that they're extremely capable of rage and unable to control it at certain points. Right. And, like, Scary. I don't really care whether or not my partner never points that rage at me. I don't think I want to be with someone who is capable of that depth of anger. Yeah. That's just me. Scary. <laughs> Scary! Scary! Yeah,
0: I actually want you to be able to handle that internally. I I would actually feel more safe (laughs) if you could just deal with that on your own. And I understand that, like, like, I understand the idea of, like, protector, the protector role, like, being important, like, I I think that I have, like, lived such a privileged life that I, like, have not had to, like, feel vulnerable enough that, like, someone being protective of me is, like, a core, like, draw. You know what I mean? Like, if someone is, like, strong enough to protect me, like, that has never been, like, super important because I just, like, have been fortunate enough to live a, like, very safe life. And so I understand how, like, the desire to be protected is a real one and like I can see that everywhere in like straight relationships Uh, I get that that is a thing that a lot of women value but like I think that it's just very very it's a very short hop from protectiveness to a lot of things that end up really being harmful yeah and I have yet to see like a truly like healthy expression of that in this book I think Reese is the closest. Actually, I think Cassian is the closest. I I think Cassian and Asriel can do no wrong at this point. If they do stuff wrong later, I cannot see it because I won't be reading it. So, yeah, Cassian
1: does stuff that I don't know. Like Cassian is the only one who, when they're like Nesta hates our guts and she's such a bitch, he's like, none of you are checking on her. Like, yeah. Like, this is, and this is truly last, the last thing I will say because you need to leave Kirksville, Missouri so you can be at Summer League on time. True. Um, (laughs) Cassian and Nesta, I think, are healthier in that he is like, you need to check on her and legitimately check on her. When you're friends, if you, if you love your sister as dearly as you say, why the fuck are you allowing that amount of isolation? And why? Yeah. And this is, these are like questions I have for people in romance novels too, who when their friend is like, this crazy romantic thing just happened to me. And their friend is like, whoa, go get some. It's like, she got kidnapped. Like, yeah. Like my thought is maybe, hey girl, hey, <laughs> Oh, I want to check in on you. Like, yeah, let's go get coffee. And if like, you can't go get coffee with me without him who you've known for a week? Let's call the police.
0: Yeah. Like- and that's like, that's like the way that women are protective. I feel like men are protective, like very physically. Women are protective in the sense of like, I can tell intuitively and also because I have eyes <laughs> that something bad is happening and I can label it for what it is and I can see it for what it is. Like, that is the type of protectiveness that Nesta seems like she needs in A Court of Silver Flames. And that Feyre needed from Lucian and from Tamlin at the very beginning of Mist and Fury. Like, that I feel like also should be defined as, like, protectiveness. Because that, too, is, like, trying to, like, prevent harm. And honestly, that's, like, kind of a more applicable use of that instinct in a lot of, like, the situations in this book. Okay, Yeah. now we are done talking, I need to get in a car, we will <laughs> leave everything else for the next one. This has been All My
1: Friends Are English Majors. Follow us on Instagram at English majors Pod. send us an email at Pod at gmail.com. Next week is Comparison Contrast, we're going to talk about these books and what makes them good and what makes them bad, as if we haven't already made four hours of content. Okay, <laughs> bye! Bye!